What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Thoughts Inside Our Head podcast. It is currently Friday. The sun is shining. It's 53 degrees. Spring is around the corner. People are going to be getting tan and happy again. Oh, but wait. If not for one thing, the freaking Jazz have tanked. They're the they're the dirigible, the the Led Zeppelin that are plummeting towards the earth, and it might be time for a funeral. Kurt, how are you feeling, man? With not all good. these things going on, how are you feeling? <laughs> not good, man. It is a beautiful day for a funeral. We might be burying this team today. I don't know what's going on, but I feel like this is more of a like a eulogy slash obituary type podcast and here we are to talk about some pretty dire things yeah man it's uh despite the fact that i don't see a cloud in the sky these are some dark days and i thought it would be appropriate that we get together and we talk through some things dude we want to talk a little bit about uh you know the state of the jazz right now kind of like how the president has the state of the union um, we have state of the state of Utah or the state of the jazz. So we kind of want to talk about what the heck has been going on over the past, well, pretty much the entire season one way or another. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly. I know we did uh, an actual segment called the good, the bad, and the ugly um, about 12 games into the season. We're not going to go that route. We're just going to mostly talk about the ugly because that's pretty much all it's been. Um, so, yeah, man. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the Jazz. Currently, we are on a four-game losing skid. Or is it five at this point? I should know this, given the fact that I'm hosting a podcast on it. But we've lost four games in a row, we'll call it. And we play the Washington Wizards tonight. Um, in the playoff, last time we spoke, I think we were second in the playoff race. We were the second seed. We are now currently the sixth seed. We were passed up by the Thunder yesterday. And so, dude, what's going on? A lot of changes in, what, a week or a week and a half? Um, I think what's going on here, and I can speak a lot about this because I am a Washington Redskins fan and I'm used to complete discompobulation from top to bottom of an organization and I can really read into things, Cole, but I'm a detective on this stuff. Um... It's 2020. Can we, are we still okay to call them the Redskins? The yeah, for me, I mean, come on, man. I have too much. I've, I put too much money into stuff that has that name all over, up and down everything I own. So yes, it's the Redskins for me until we have to change it. Um, anyway, what's going on with the Jazz is it just looks like they're not having fun and they're losing basketball games, and that causes panic. And when you're not winning games and sports. People are asking all the questions on every inch, every square inch of this team. Who's to blame? Um, who's not playing well? Who needs to go where? Who needs to go onto the bench? And it's getting really weird. The entire Conley getting benched and then they went with Joe getting benched. Situation felt very Washington-y to me. Um, and it causes stir in the fans. It causes stir... Uh, in the front office and when it comes down to it you're losing games you got to make changes Kolb and what's the most concerning to me is it looks like these guys just don't really have fun playing together which is a complete 180 like the the most opposite you could be from last year and sometimes 
playing together and wanting to win and believing in your team means more than talent. Um, it it kind of outweighs that on the scale of things. And the way I see it is we gave up a lot of heart and leadership and camaraderie for offense this offseason. On paper, it looked great, and it doesn't seem to be turning out the way we wanted it. Yeah, man. I think, uh, so a couple things to touch on. First, for those fans who maybe aren't aware, um, so the, the, the morning or the day of the game against the Celtics, which was Wednesday, uh, there was a breaking news post by The Athletic. Shout out to Tony Jones. Shout out to Shams, Karania. Um, and the breaking news was Mike Conley will officially be moved to the bench. And for for Joe Ingles, who, of course, we know that Joe's been playing. Uh, he plays quite a bit better with Rudy in the pick and roll. He does a better job at getting Rudy the ball. Um, he just seems more comfortable. Everybody seems a little more comfortable. Um, and so that happened. And then like four hours later, we get another breaking news saying before the game saying, oh, breaking news. Joe actually will be coming off the bench. Royce will be starting. Mike Conley will be starting. And so everybody's thinking, hey, what the heck just happened? Did Conley throw a fit? Did Joe volunteer once he found out that uh, apparently the announcement was made to Royce and Conley first, saying that Royce will start in place of Conley? And then the announcement was made to the rest of the team. So some people think, A, Mike Conley went and threw a fit to his agent, and then the agent called the Jazz, and the Jazz said, okay, never mind. Some people think that Joe once he found out, came to the front office and Quinn and said, hey, no, actually, you know, Mike should be starting. I'll come off the bench. Um, there's a bunch of different theories, but ultimately, um, all that to say that there is definitely um, some chaos in the locker room. And now, now the theory is that Quinn made the decision to um, bring Conley off the bench and the front office stepped in and said, no, Conley's going to start because we're paying him $32 million a year. So that's where we're at with that. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, you know, what you said is right, man. I mean, this has been a team of brotherly love really since, you know, Con- or since, uh, since Donovan was drafted, you know, with, with Ricky and, and everybody. And, and not just that, but we had, you know, Favors, who was, uh, you know, a team favorite. And we had Jay, who had some passion. And so, I mean... We'll, prob- we'll go down to a rabbit hole and start picking a few different things about what's going wrong on the court. But overall, it definitely feels like there's a lack of enjoyment with these guys and, and that we're not really not really playing super well together. And so this is, this is more of a funeral of our, our hopes and dreams of what we thought the team could be, at least in my idea, in my view, than a funeral of the actual Jazz because they're still probably going to make the playoffs. Who knows exactly what's going to happen? We'll address that in a second too. But... You know, when we came into this season, just like you mentioned, I mean, literally everybody nationally, locally said that this was probably the best move the Jazz could make to put us into the contenders. And we're on the record. We've got podcasts to prove it, unfortunately, that uh, that we were definitely drinking that Kool-Aid along with everybody else and thought that we'd be in, uh, in a pretty good shape right now. And, and then, my, how times have changed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quite a bit. And it... What's really interesting is, like, you can look at it at basically the past month. Like, we were on that big win streak, and everyone was back up on the team, and we're in second place in the West, which is already a killer conference. Granted that those teams weren't very good uh, that we're playing against, but we're winning against teams we should have won against. And then 
we kind of we lost what was it five or six in a row um, before the All Star break, and then peeled off like three or four wins to to make it look not so bad. And then we haven't won since the All Star break. And the roller coaster of the season, I think, is just kind of a it, it, the output is on the court is one thing and losing games is really really bad but what what worries me is the apathy that you're seeing from the players on the court like I don't care if we lose games if we're trying but the lack of hustle and the pointing the fingers and like just the body language is just horrible and you hear people talk about this all the time in any any facet of life whether it's sports or your job or in a marriage or anything apathy is a killer right any time that you just have given up and you don't care, there's really no coming back from that. I really think we're almost to the point that we can say the damage might have been done for the season. Even if we limp into the playoffs, we're looking at a first, maybe second round at best exit. Um, if we somehow like get matched up against Denver or something, I think we're a good matchup against that team overall. And we might be able to like squeak out a seven-game series. But realistically, I just feel like where we're at in the season... And what this team's doing and how they're acting is is pretty much a death sentence for me. Yeah, man. Let's 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 kind of dive into it a little bit because I think that really is the biggest thing. You know, why why are we not emotional? Like, wh- wh- where did our effort go? Why are we not giving the same effort that we gave in the past? And and I know we've we've probably talked about this a few times, but let's let's kind of let's let's honestly let's pick on a couple guys and let's let's figure this out. And now yeah. I know that you and I. Honestly, we've defended Mike to the death. Um, and But before we even proceed, I have to give this analogy and this example because I feel like I, I have to talk to, I, I talk to people at work and I talk to other people elsewhere, and they say trading for Conley was the worst idea we could have made. And I have a little bit of gripe with that sentiment yeah. because if we rewind back to the summer of 2019 and obviously knowing that hindsight's 2020, but if we look and, and said – okay, what are our available options and what makes the most sense? So really, this is the analogy that I use is, hey, if you've got like a, if you've got a, a, a swimming pool full of ping pong balls, there's a thousand ping pong balls and 990 of them are black and 10, in, uh, 10 of them are white and someone asked you, hey, um, if we pick one out of here, what colors it's most likely going to be? Well, you're going to say black. You have a pretty, you have a freaking high chance of it being black, 99% chance of it being black and you pull it out and it's white, it doesn't mean you made a bad decision. It just means that the outcome wasn't correct. And so given the information that the Jazz had as an organization, that we had as fans, I still think it was the right pick to move on in the way that we did from our previous team and and go with Mike as a point guard. And it just hasn't worked out. So I had to get that out of the way, but Mike isn't even really the central part of the problem. Um, I would probably say that the central part of the problem is Rudy. Would you agree? Um, I would say yes. And and to piggyback on the Mike thing, and I totally agree with what you're saying, um, another point is the team that we had last year, we reached our ceiling. We weren't going to go any further with the team that we had. So we had to make a decision at some point. And with, like you said, the information that we had in front of us, it was the best choice to make. So I think going back and saying it was a terrible trade is almost childish. It's not... It's just not the way you know life works. We just got to understand that it was time to move on with the team that we had, and we made the best deci- best decision available. Fully support that decision. On the Rudy thing, the reason why I do think that he's more to blame than 
possibly anyone else on the team is because Rudy is an all-star and Rudy is paid to be a leader. He has been on this team as long as just about anybody else. Um, and when he starts acting like the way he's been acting and, and there's this huge thing going around about how the team's not getting Rudy the ball. There's, and it's, it's really frustrating that a line's being drawn down the middle, your team Rudy or your team everybody else, it seems like, on Twitter. And Jazz Twitter right now is absolutely toxic, if anyone, if anyone's a part of that. Um, it's, it's a crazy place to be right now. But, you know, there's these gifts going around of Rudy rolling to the basket and just acting completely disinterested on defense. Um, and those are the two things that are going around. But he's rolling to the basket, and he's not getting the ball, and he just kind of hangs his head, and he jogs down court, and then he doesn't help anyone on defense, kind of like this attitude of, hey, if you're not going to help me out on offense, you can get your own rebound. Uh, you're not going to get me the ball down low? Well, I'm not going to contest this shot and, and make a stop. And it's really becoming an issue because it's like, who wants to play with someone like that, Cole? I wouldn't want to play with anyone like that. And, he, and Rudy needs to be realistic, and I think you pointed this out. He's not our first offensive option. He's not our second or third offensive option. He's realistically like our fourth or fifth op- offensive option on the team. Like, yeah, the pick and roll is great, but that's really all we can do with him. Rudy's not the type of player that's going to go post up. If he has Chris Paul on him, he doesn't go down to the low block and demand the ball and post up and score. He just doesn't have that offensive game. He doesn't have any way to, you know, demand possessions without us, without somebody else getting him the ball. And it, it can be frustrating, sure, if he's not getting the touches he wants. But at the same time, you got to understand, like, there's players jumping into the pass lane. Uh, the Rudy pick and roll worked really, really well last year. And then the second half of the season, people figured it out. So we can't just completely rely on that for Rudy to score the b- bucket in that way. No, you're 100% right. And I'll be honest, um, for, for a little while, I was, kind of in the, I was kind of in the camp of, yeah, we got to get Rudy the ball. Um, but then, but then, yeah, it clicked for me. I realized, wait, like Rudy's the key. He's the keystone to our team. He's, he's obviously the defensive anchor and he, he is our fifth or sixth option on offense. Like it's just, it's as easy as that. And mm-hmm. he, uh, I always, I mean, you would hope that he would understand that one, that he needs to be a leader on the team, not someone that's going to pound like, where I just I don't want to be like the where's your mental toughness guy, but Rudy makes an incredible impact on winning, and that's really what it should come down to. Like the guy's gonna get paid the supermax, and we'll have actually a conversation about this in a second. He's he made the all star. Like this should be a point where hey, he should probably be a little more willing to not even take a back seat on the offense because when we get defensive stops and we're in transition. That's where we hit Rudy for lobs. That's where we hit him when he's cutting through the post. I mean, that's going to open up a ton more of his offense too um, as opposed to, oh, we're pulling the ball out of the net again off defense, having a half-court offensive set when the defense is set and you know struggle for some sort of, of points that way. So, I mean, it's just frustrating to me. Rudy's a veteran on the team, and he shouldn't be like – he shouldn't be the guy that's going to take his ball and go home when something's not working out for him so no one else like can play either. You know, I wish he'd, I mean, I wish he'd man up a little bit and and stop pouting and and become an extra force on defense and then watch how that translates into him getting more touches on offense. And it's really sad because Rudy seemed like such a key 
figure in like the great camaraderie that we had within the locker room the past three four years he was always a part of that and always in on the jokes and like Rudy's always been kind of an enigma in terms of who he is I mean he does the crystal thing he does he's in love with that duck that he's always posting on his Instagram he's kind of a weird dude but I don't know if it's him thinking that now he's an all-star like he deserves more touches and he's entitled all of a sudden to being a more integral role into our offense but like you said like if we're not getting stops on defense that kills our team because we're not the most we're not the most athletic team in terms of speed and if we don't give ourselves a chance to get out and run like we're not going to let teams are going to get back on defense a lot quicker on us if the ball goes in the basket and we have to reset um, the play but you know, if we can get some stops and get people out and running and get Rudy in transition, like you said, he's going to get more buckets, and obviously that's going to translate to wins. And if you're going to be the guy on the team, you just got to understand that you're going to be the one that's going to get looked at under under a microscope more than anyone else when situations are like this. And I'm just kind of worried yeah. that – I'm just kind of worried, like, yeah, obviously I'm going to point to Rudy because he's supposed to be a leader. If you're an all-star, you're going to, you're going to get – praise when we win but you also got to understand that you're going to be the one to point to when we're losing and to bring in donovan who's our other all-star on this if you watch the games donovan plays like he cares i mean i feel like donovan's the one guy that you can point to that on every possession it feels like he's giving 100 percent both on offense and, and defense so when you see that and then you see rudy acting like he's all upset that he's not getting the ball and like, when Rudy Gobert doesn't contest at the rim, it's very noticeable because it's Rudy Gobert not contesting at the rim. It's what he, it's how he made his money the first five years of his career. You know what I mean? And when he doesn't do that, it stands out very sharply. And it's not a good look. And it's, it's an issue. It really is an issue. And, and really, all we need to do is rewind right before the All-Star break. I mean, we had that game against the Mavs where he literally had two major defensive stops to end the game. And those were game-winning plays. Yeah, he had a great game against the Blazers that, sure, that, that play that was called a goaltending, it was a goaltending. But, I mean, ultimately, um, he still impacted that game in a major way on the defensive end. And you would feel like that every – I mean, he got a lot – he gets a lot of love for being a defensive enforcer that wins games on the defensive end of things. So I don't know why he has to – why he feels like he needs to step out of his lane a little bit and become uh, the main guy on offense too when – you know, we we purposely went out and added guys, and and you know, one that were a little bit less skilled defensively because Rudy's commitment, prior commitment to playing defense, was so high that we felt like, hey, we can we can you know let a guy like Favors go, we can let a, a guy like Rubio go who are great on the on the defensive end, and hey, let's supercharge the offense a little bit because we feel like we can we have that ability to do so while Rudy is the defensive anchor. And when we've clicked and when Rudy's playing defense and everybody else is playing within their roles, our ceiling is pretty darn high. But when people try and, I guess, act out of different roles than uh, out of their own roles, get out of their lane, as you would say, um, it gets ugly. Right. And I think this so. might be a good transition point into what else is going on. Because when a team's losing as many games as we are in the fashion that we are, there's a lot more going on than just one person. And another huge issue that we have right now is our perimeter defense. Um, for so, for whatever reason, teams score on us like crazy. Um, I actually saw a nice little stat that said we we force teams into the most mid-range jumpers than anyone else in the league. But teams are stroking the ball against us 
And you can even watch. Like, you watch someone like DeMar DeRozan or Tatum against uh, in the Celtics game. They were hitting these jump shots just... But the thing is, like, yeah, we force them into these mid-range shots, but when you're not hustling and, like, you, you have that apathy, that's going to be a key word, I think, of this podcast is apathy, but you have that that mindset on defense, any pro is going to set their feet and hit a jump shot, right? So I don't know what's going on. There's some weird anomalies going on. These guys are knocking down the shots that we want them to be taking, and then we're missing wide-open threes, which is mind-boggling because the first half of the season we were the best three-point shooting team in the league. But here we are. Like We're exchanging. They're just, they're just cashing in on buckets, and we seem to have a lid. And it all starts with defense. We've lost our identity as the Utah Jazz since all the way back in the Sloan, the Jerry Sloan era that we were a defensive-minded team. That's what we've we've built this city on, and it just seems to be crumbling from the inside out. Yeah, man. It, it's frustrating because, <clears throat> I mean, partially, you know, some teams have figured us out a little bit. You know, they're going to they're gonna try and draw Rudy out of the paint, um, and that's not an excuse for Rudy because, again, we his lack of hustle is pretty apparent, so... Um, but like what the, I mean, the Rockets have done it. Uh, the Spurs have done it. Um, the Suns did it when we lost to the Suns. And it's really opening up kind of the paint and not even the paint, but just kind of like around the, it was just like you say, the kind of the mid range twos and then teams are hitting at a crazy high clip. Um, you know, one problem is our on ball defense. Now Donovan has stepped up his, we just have kind of a short, I mean, we're, we're undersized really, I guess when he, when it comes down to it. Um, so effort matters even more because if you give the same amount of effort of a, of a team that as a team that's not undersized, um, you know, your results are going to go down a little bit. But then if you're giving even less effort and you're undersized, I mean, it's, it's a wrap. Just like you said, I mean, teams are going to hit wide open jumpers or in the mid range. And so um, it's something that we're going to have to figure out. I think, you know, that's uh, it just. They went at Mike like the Celtics went at Mike quite a bit. Um, they had Tatum guarding him, or he was he got matched on to Tatum. He'd get matched on to Marcus Smart. He get matched on to, he just was just completely overmatched from a defensive perspective, and they just kind of picked on it and would draw a double team, and then they'd kick it to the open guy, and before you know it, they're hitting threes and getting wide open buckets around the rim. So yeah, dude, there's oh my gosh, there's so many things to talk about that just suck right now. <laughs> um, the thing about I guess one thing I guess that's concerning me, Kolb, is what you just said at the beginning of this podcast. What uh, it was Kendrick Perkins that tweeted it, that you know the idea that the front office is meddling with Quinn's rotations, and personally, this is hard for me to believe because we have, I don't know if this is a Justin Zanuck thing, um, saying like, hey, you know, this Mike Conley thing's my baby. You're you're playing Mike. We're paying him thirty four million dollars. You are you're playing Mike Conley. But I feel like it might not be a good assumption because Dennis Lindsay, I feel like it's a very anti-Dennis Lindsay thing to do. I mean, he comes from the Spurs where, like, putting someone on the bench that's paid $34 million because it's best for the team sounds like a very Greg Popovichy thing to do. And I feel like, you know, that's something that, that Dennis Lindsay would be okay with. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, the true story behind what's going on there. The story is Mike got told that he's coming off the bench. He went home and took a nap and woke up, and he was the starter again. Um, that could be true. I mean, there still could be the idea that maybe Conley's agent got involved. I mean, they have money riding on this. Uh, if Conley's coming off the bench, he's going to he's going to take a pay cut his next contract rather than he's been a starter his entire career, yada, yada. There's a lot going on. 
There's a lot of things we can cue the conspiracy music for, but since it's the jazz and close to home, I feel like not doing that. Um, man, what else is wrong? Let's talk about let's talk about Joe Ingles. Um, I think it's Joe, related. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. I'm just saying. So the big thing is, a lot of people at the beginning of this Mike Conley saga, they're like, we need to play Moutier. He's better than Conley. But realistically, Moutier and Conley existing or coexisting isn't the problem. The problem to me is Joe Ingles and Mike Conley, for whatever reason, cannot coexist together on the court. And I think that's because they play in a way. I mean, Joe's a little bit, it's a different body type, different position. But in a way, they, they do the same thing on the court. Um, they're ball-dominant playmakers. Um, who can throw lobs at the rim? They can shoot the three, and they, you know, they can get other people involved. But for whatever reason, they cannot coexist together and be on the court at the same time. Henceforth, one was starting, and the other was going to the bench, and we had the flip flop and things like that. But for whatever reason, Joe Ingles this year has been a complete ghost. And this is another thing about the effort thing for me, where I'm fine with losing. If we're trying hard, I'm fine with Joe Ingles like starting or coming off the bench. I'm fine with him being on the floor if he's if he's you know playing his game. But there's times when Joe just you forget he's on the court for seven minutes. He's not he's not getting assists. He's not even shooting the ball. Like I'd rather Joe go 0 for five than 0 for one. I'd rather him continue to shoot and try and get involved because for for a weird reason the Jazz goes Joe Ingles goes. Don't don't ask me why, but it's just the kind of the way the thing is. It's kind of the way the 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 motion offense fits into his key role in that. Like we just need Joe involved, and he's not asserting himself, and it's killing us. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. Like Joe, I mean, so Joe was playing the best the best minutes of his career. He played the best games of his career this year. That period where um, where Conley was hurt. And and Joe was running the point. I, I think there was a game. I want to say it was the last. I think where we got blown out in Toronto, and and Joe came in and started to run pick and roll with Rudy in like the fourth quarter. It was already a blowout, but they were just killing the, the Raptors. And then after that, immediately Conley went out. And then you know for that twenty game stretch, like Joe was Joe was unbelievable. And sure, part of it's against you know worse competition, but when you've got Joe, Mike, and Donnie on the floor at the same time, they're three guys that need the ball. We already know that. The Donovan's probably the best point guard of the three. Um, and then Joe is completely neutralized when Conley has the ball. And then when Joe has the ball, he can kind of work with Donovan, but then Conley's either neutralized or he just, I mean, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't move off ball. He just kind of goes and stands there. And so all three can't be on the floor at the same time, which is why I guess, I mean, it makes sense that, that, uh, that one of them had to go to the bench, but... And you and I have been Conley backers the entire time. And just like you said, you know, people say, hey, is Moutier better than than, than uh, Conley? The answer is no. Mike Conley's a better basketball player. But Conley should maybe be playing the Moutier role that Moutier was playing when Conley was out, if that makes sense. He's the backup yeah. point guard. And it sucks to say because he is making $32 million a year. But what's the goal here? Is the goal to, to get the most out of our team? Ideally, we thought that Conley would be the guy to, to run the show, but, I mean, against the Celtics again, not to go, you know, it's kind of recency bias, but all Mike did, I didn't even realize he was really on the court. Yeah, he made five threes. Um, a couple of them were garbage threes, whatever, but he just kind of stood at the top of the, at the, top of the key, at the top of the three-point line, and just 
just swung the ball around like a, a college point guard that didn't know what he was doing that just would like run the clock down until it was time to like scramble and shoot it like he didn't create he didn't he couldn't drive to the rim um he didn't really do anything running the point and that's when that's when the celtics actually went up 7-0 in a minute and 45 seconds at the start of the fourth and things the like that and so exactly um I mean, I hate to say it. It really comes down to the fact that I, I wish the Jazz or I wish the front office didn't meddle. I think the Jazz have, at this point, you know, as we evaluate things however many games in, it makes the most sense, I think, for Conley to come off the bench. And it, it sucks to say, and I think that it unlocks Joe. We're bigger on defense, which helps too as a starting lineup. And then Donovan and Joe can run it. And, uh, you know, I think the first substitution should probably be whether it's it's probably Con- or Conley for Joe would be the first substitution, and then you bring in Clarkson for Donovan next, and then you just kind of continue the the rotations from there. So, I uh, it just I mean who knows? I mean let's say we lose to the Wizards tonight, it sucks because we've got four games coming up, and we should probably go, you know, we probably should go three and one or four and zero, oh, and it won't won't feel good if we do because it's the the Cavs, it's the Pistons, it's the Wizards. I think we play the Celtics as well. Who else do we play? I can't remember, but whether we win or lose, it's not going to feel that great. <laughs> it's the Knicks. Yeah, it's the Knicks. It's oh, the other the- team. So it really should be – we really should peel off four four out of five right now. But I don't know if we do. I'm going to be honest. I don't, I think we, we drop a game probably to, like, the Cavs or just one of those – obviously one of those four crappy teams. But I just – I just feel like where their mindset's at is it's so bad. It's so bad. And it doesn't matter, like, how bad teams are that you're playing against. They're still professional athletes. And if you have a team that's not believing in each other and believing in, I don't know if it's the system or what, um, it could be bad news for us. And I'm on board with what you're saying about putting Mike on the bench and bringing him off. Another aspect of of having Joe start with, with with Rudy is we can get Rudy involved on the offense and hopefully that gets him a little bit more chipper on playing on defense and then the game trends a little bit better for us. Uh, we seem to just put ourselves in holes and then what happens is it forces Donovan into a hero ball and, I mean, he's an amazing player and he hits shots and we slowly start claw- crawling our way back, but it's not sustainable for an entire basketball game. And it just seems to to be kind of dark days uh, ahead and I guess Cole um, what do you think the fix is like this offseason what do you think the fix for this team's going to be because I don't know dude ah, I don't know either man I mean so this is this, this is what we have to consider um, so Donovan and Rudy are going to be extension eligible so odds are, I mean, Donovan, 100%, we'll, we'll extend him, give him the, the max for another four or five years, whatever it is, and that's a wrap. The next question, and if we had this conversation maybe two weeks ago, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a Skip Bayless here, but if we had this conversation two weeks ago and someone said, hey, are you guys going to max Rudy? Should you max Rudy? I would have said, well, I would have said something that you probably can't say on air. And I'd say, of course we are. We're going to max Rudy. And now, and I don't want to be like overreactive just because over the last two weeks, teams have been playing small ball and really taking Rudy, like the way Rudy's played over the last two weeks, 
part of it is effort and part of it is schematics on the the opposing team side of things and the question is is if everybody else is going small and Rudy can't develop a, a post-up game where he can punish guys like P.J. Tucker or Robert Covington or Dario Saric or whoever's guarding him, can you max him going forward if he's not going to have the same defensive impact and he can't, I mean, and he, he doesn't have post moves? What are your thoughts? That's a good question, and I have a guy at work I talked to about this a little bit. Shout out. Shout out Doug Brothers. Um, he's not a jazz fan, so he gives me different perspective from just like Shout a basketball out fan. <laughs> a, yeah. uh, a basketball perspective of just a fan of the game. And he says, you know, even though Rudy's two-time defensive player of the year, he's he's just kind of soft. And what he means by that is exactly what you're saying. He can't go down and bang with people and just get a bucket when you need it on offense. And it, it really does, you know, beg to ask the question – can we? Is he worth the money, or can we s- split that money up against someone who can, you know, maybe like strong wing defenders and three and D type guys who kind of help our offensive game and our defensive game a little bit better? I mean, however much money he's going to get is going to be a lot of it, and you really when when that much money's involved and in how what that does to your cap and your options, I mean, you you got to look at it just from a business perspective on like what is this is this going to help our team like is he worth the money for what he has to offer and right now offensively with what he does I'm not sure defensively yes I mean he's the best defender in the league or at least the best rim protector in the league and the way he can just disrupt um, teams offensive plan it's worth the money but on the other side of the ball is it worth the investment as well and it's really something that, that our front office is going to have to investigate, which is crazy to say. Like you said, two weeks ago, I was all on board for Rudy, just like I was going to get 27 tattooed on my back. Um, but it's it's just scary and, times, and this and this is what happens. This is what happens when your team just implodes. Is you have these panic stations. You have these, you know, us, these, I'm not calling us talking heads, but you have people um, just worried about, the future of the team and you start asking questions that you normally wouldn't be asking. Right. And I still, I still feel like it's like on my end, it's still kind of half baked in my head, but from like a return on investment, you know, perspective, it's like offensively, if you don't have a post game and you're not going to punish people, we can't really do much. And then defensively again, if, if everybody's going to go small and teams are going to kill us and exploit us, and that's kind of the direction of the NBA just like four years ago or five years ago, the direction of the NBA started to become, you know, shoot as many threes, as many layups as you can. I mean, if this is kind of where things are trending, which it kind of feels like the book is out on the jazz, like this is what you need to do to beat them. It's, you know, defensively, just get Rudy away from the rim. And we've always kind of known that that's an issue, but now, now teams that haven't done that in the past are actually putting worse players overall in, like Dario Saric, but that's somewhat of a threat from three, that Rudy has to step out, that all of a sudden his defensive pre- presence is completely neutered. So I don't know yet. Again, I think we need a bigger sample size to see you know, if, if, we can, if we have a counter-adjustment to it. You know, Our counter-adjustment was, oh, let's let Rudy guard Russ, and that worked kind of the first time, and then the second time it pretty much didn't because Russ knew it was coming when we played the Rockets. So anyway, um, as you're kind of talking about the offseason, I think that's a big question. And I think, uh, I mean, a lot will be determined still over these next few few weeks to see if, I mean, if Rudy's going to be a viable option. Or even if he wants to stay, who knows? Maybe at this point he's 
based on how things are going right here, maybe he wants to change the scenery. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I feel like Donnie's the centerpiece. Um, you know, we've got Royce locked up. We've got Bogdanovich locked up. The Conley thing is another thing. I mean, the Jazz have come out and said that Donovan is our point guard of the future. Um, when you know when Conley's gone, and so Conley's probably, I would imagine, he picks up his option because it's thirty-two-ish million, whatever it is. But then, do you get involved in sign and trade talks, or do you get involved in, you know, I don't know who would necessarily take his contract aside from a team that says, hey, we want to dive into twenty-two free agencies and twenty-twenty-two free agency, so we just want Conley to expire at the end of the year and have him be just a solid veteran to someone like the Hawks who have a ton of money. They want a mentor for Trey Young, you know. Maybe that's a move you make, and you don't take. You get rid of Conley, or if Conley finds a way to fit in over the next few weeks and months, then maybe he's maybe. I mean, he's an older CJ McCollum, and he he actually will play off ball. But I don't know. Yeah. Here's a, here's know, a hot question for you. At the at the pace that Joe's on, over under two years before he's playing in uh, the Australian Pro Leagues with his family and back in Australia with his family. Over under, I would take I would take just like right on 2 years. I think he finishes out this season then next or does that Man, I don't know. That's a good That's a tough bet, man. That's right on the nose on where I would put it. I don't know. I would with the way things are going right now, I'd take the under for sure, but with the way the Jazz are, they would keep him around for three extra years that, that you know, with this loyalty and stuff that we have, seems that we have um, internally, I think we'd keep him around um, longer than he would last in any other team. Uh, so I don't know. I am starting the bring back favors train now, though, so if anyone wants to jump on, um, maybe in this offseason we need to focus on bringing back Big Daddy because it was, he's just the heart and soul of the team, man. We need to bring him back. He loved being here. Get him back. Get him back, Gail. Get him back, Dennis. Get him back, Justin. I miss my dad. Bring him back, or let's see what Jay Stunt Bradley can do. Yes, that's another thing. We got to see what he's all about. With the way the league's going, I don't understand. Yeah, he's undersized, but so is the entire freaking league. Let's just see what he can do. He's just tearing things At- up right now. Yeah, at this point, he's not undersized. He's, like, perfectly sized to play a five. He can shoot at the three. Like, I still can't figure out why he hasn't. Um, Again, all things up to now lead me to believe that the front office knows what's best. But, honestly, who knows at this point? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, man. My biggest concern right now is Quinn Snyder's mental health. Um, I don't know if he's going to relapse on just, like, a bunch of dirty coke. Or if he just completely has a brain aneurysm, but the way he looks dirty on the diet bench, coke for all the uh, for all the people that are listening out there with sensitive ears yes, from Swig. Yes, yes, sorry. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's it's crazy, man. It's it's definitely a, a point in time where, I mean, everybody. I mean, I don't. I can't think of the analogy or the saying or the quote that really sums up like it's kind of now or never. Um, from a seeding standpoint, like people are always asking like, Oh, well, what seed we're out of the two, we're in the six, we're in the whatever. I mean, I, the seeding doesn't really matter. Cause if you can't beat the suns at home, it doesn't matter if you're the first seed or the eighth seed when all said and done, you're not going to win a first round playoff series right. <laughs> if you're losing to the Suns. So it's, you know, um, and it's, it, I think it's still too early to project who's going to end up where aside from expecting, 
you know, the Lakers to end up as one and either Houston or Denver at two. And then from there, it's like the, the Clippers at three. And at that point, I mean, maybe we're the six or the, or the seven and end up playing Denver as it is. And maybe it works out. And I mean, if we can, if we can kind of get our act together going into the end of the season by some miracle, um, having a first round against Denver, it wouldn't be the worst thing ever. Even if, again, if we are peaking and, and starting to reach our ceiling at the end of the, at the end of the season, regular season. So there's still a lot that has to get figured out. So I don't really want to harp on seating too much, but I figured I'd bring that up. Yeah. Uh, mm. I don't know, Cole. I don't have an answer. Dude, I feel anything. like I feel, I feel like this has kind of been good. Like, yes, it, our thoughts have been wandered and uh, kind of all over the place, but I feel like that's kind of the situation, man. No one expect like in all reality, this season started off kind of rough. Um, lost some tough games, still figuring each other out. The offense didn't look good, but people were still trying, and so we were winning some games. And then things got real dark, which obviously wasn't fun to watch. And then we started killing teams, but we were killing bad teams. So it wasn't like super, super fulfilling because we wanted to have our guys play up against the best. And we got a couple clutch wins. You know, we beat the Bucks, We beat the, the Clippers a couple times. Um, but it wasn't super, super fulfilling. And now, like, the bottom's kind of fallen out again. And it just really – it's been a whole lot of – oh, it'll get better, oh, it just got worse, oh, it just got better, but we're against crappy teams, so is it actually real? And now it's gotten worse again, so it's kind of been a tough, it's been a tough season, man. Yeah. And I think this has just been a good, a good venting session. Yeah, it was cathartic for us. I, man, this entire year, we, we would talk about it all the time, like, even at the beginning, beginning of the year when we were barely winning games, we're like, this just isn't fun. It's not as fun as it was last year, so I hope, um, maybe we just count this season as a loss and then realign for next season and we can start having fun watching this team again. Yeah, and that's oh, that's what sucks because I, I do know – I remember last year, remember losing to the Rockets? Like we thought, wow, this season wasn't really that fun either. <laughs> like we had that conversation last year. And then the, the year before that, it was there was a lot of promise – and that was, I mean, that was probably the most fun of the last three was Donnie's rookie year beating OKC, screw OKC, and then making it into the second round and then ultimately losing to the, the Rockets. But that was still a way, way fun, uh, a way fun year. So I think mostly because we had a lot of hope and high expectations that years two and three would be better. But this is, this is a funeral for our hopes and expectations for the 2019-2020 Utah Jazz. But... For all of those of us that are, are potentially religious out there, um, we do believe in the resurrection, and we believe that there's a possibility that this body will come back to life again. <laughs> and we hope that that resurrection comes sometime in spring, which, again, not to be too blasphemous here, but that does happen to be around Easter time. <laughs> and, um, yeah, maybe, maybe this Jazz team's hopes will come back to life and that we'll have a good run going into the postseason. Um, but right now... I think we need to say our final words and cross ourselves and with a, a look towards uh, towards next season. <laughs> yep, I'm throwing the bottle. I'm writing a message in the bottle and throwing it into the ocean saying, never remember the 19 or the 2019 and 2020 season. Forget it. And, you know, just another thing, dude, and people can go back and listen to our podcast about, about defending the team 
and I still feel justified in the defense then because I think it's ridiculous to you know with such a even though we it was maybe 30 or 40 game sample size to jump off the ship but I'm, I'm proud of us for how long we held on and supported the team and we're still going to be there watching every game from here on out we're not we're not stopping to watch the jazz but I just feel like a little bit of our hope died this these last few days past the all-star break so <sighs> right. that's where we're at right so and then with that we'll put a period on the jazz for now on the conversations maybe in a few days we have we'll probably go four and one on this next slide and you and i will be talking about how we were idiots and then we'll go on another four game lose streak and we'll say no we were right about burying this team and this is going to be a roller coaster but we can't help ourselves um but definitely feel like the emotional investment's going to going to take a back seat yep but uh yeah that's all we can say r.i.p rest in peace don't die, but dude, Quinn. so we, we talk about, we, we just had a funeral, we talk about death. Um, I think it's only appropriate that we talk about birth as well, as it's a, it's life is a full circle and one eternal round. And uh, we talked a little bit about it uh, last pod, but given the fact that, that children, newly born children in particular, kind of grow like weeds and have new experiences constantly, what's, what's an update in dad world? Dude, being a dad is funny. Being a parent, I guess, is funny. So one thing that, and it was a good piece of advice I got, is um, everything is in phases with, with with newborns and infants especially, and as they grow up. I mean, even t- teenagers, right? They go through phases. But the phases in, in the newborn stage, a lot of it has to do with their temperament, and a lot of it has to do with like how they're sleeping, how they're eating, yada, yada. So I've been lucky enough to get that advice and not get too high on the highs, and not get too low on the lows. And bless, bless Emily's heart. Um, she has to be with them more than me because I have to go work. And I'm sure it's a little bit more taxing on her. But right now, little Jameson, because he eats so much, he so he came out a little small. He was two two weeks early. Not a little small. He's you know it's tiny bit undersized. He was six pounds three ounces. And in six weeks, he is up to ten pounds four ounces. So he's gained about what is that sixty percent. Um, or forty percent um, in body mass, so he's almost you know he's he's getting fat really quick, and because of that, he's eating so much milk, um, he'll throw it up because he, he overeats, and he has what's called infant reflux, and that that's caused his little tiny voice to kind of go away, so he has a raspy little cry right now, um, and he doesn't. That's like, awesome. Yeah, he doesn't like sleeping, so he kind of got that from me. Um, just seems to to take a while to fall asleep, and when he does sleep. It's a light sleep, so we're constantly trying to, um, you know, get a good routine in, in place so so he knows when it's time for bed. He can kind of go to sleep and stay asleep, but he doesn't nap very well. Um, he's always awake, but one good thing is when he's awake, he's not always fussy. I'm making it sound like he's crying all the time. He's not crying all the time. Sometimes he's just awake and alert, and he'll lay there, and uh, he's at that fun moment, and I'm sure parents that have been through this, um, love this time as well um, but what's going on is he's starting to recognize things and he's starting to see things so you can see his little eyes first they go cross-eyed for a little bit trying to focus in on what he's looking at and then when he realizes he's looking at a person he gives you this the cutest little smile cold like a, a smile that I can come home say I've, I've been told no on the phone I'm trying to sell software I've been told no 15 times today and I'm just down in the dumps. I've had a bad work day and I come home and little Jameson's there just to smile at me. It's enough to change your day around, man. It's enough It's enough 
to put things into perspective to understand that you know what the Jazz might be on a four game losing streak and we might you know the ground might be falling out beneath us and the sky might be falling but um, this little dude he's enough to make my day better so it's awesome Dude, that's special, man. That's that's funny. Like, there's a few things that you mentioned. So I met my niece for the first time um, over, I guess it was, uh, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks ago. My sister and her husband came down from the the far reaches of Canada, and uh, I had a chance to, to meet my niece, little Andy, for the first time. Shout out to Andy. And uh, it was kind of funny. She kind of had the same thing. I think she's a big fan of her Uncle Colby, but... Um, I didn't realize, like, I think a lot of babies go cross-eyed, like, when they first, like, kind of open their eyes and are trying to figure out what's going on. I was like, oh, shoot, I think her baby's cross-eyed. And then all of a sudden, like, they they focus a little bit, and then uh, you realize that they're just seeing straight. Obviously, um, you know, being cross-eyed isn't necessarily an issue, so shout-out to anybody out there of our of our cross-eyed friends. Uh, this isn't an indictment on you, um, but it was, just, it was just interesting. So, um yeah, I think that's that's awesome, man. I'm I'm stoked. I haven't I haven't seen him for for a hot minute. I need to I need to come drop by and say what's up to the kid before yeah, he's we, uh, like has his driver's license and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to get you out here. We need to go to we need to come up north, but um, it's fun, dude. Like, it's just an experience. And what's really cool too about having a kid, especially the first grandson on both sides or the grandbaby on both sides of the family. You just see, like, how important it is to everybody. And as an adult, you see the world through kind of a, a calloused lens, you know. You see a lot of the bad in the world, and people get down on things, and, you know, you kind of you kind of just aren't as chipper as you used to be. But it's incredible what having a kid can do in the family and, like, how many people not rely on him, but how much uh, brightness he brings to everybody's lives and and how many how many people just seem to be happy when they're around them and it's, it's made everyone just seem needed for a lot of people and it's really cool that it's my son that can you know provide that for other people totally man that's 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 awesome i love to hear it shout out to life it's better than death of hopes and dreams um <laughs> that sounds super <laughs> melancholy honestly i am way stoked but uh good dude i by the so not that this is necessarily a grass is greener segment where wherein Kurt shares the travails, uh, both the positives and the negatives of, uh, and not necessarily negatives, but uh, challenges of of life in, in marriage and fatherhood and where I share the, the triumphs and challenges um, of dating. But uh, yeah, Kurt definitely has more fun stuff to share. I have, there'll be someday, it might be 50 years down the road um, where I, I share some <laughs> of the... Uh, the more the honest <laughs> well one of two things one i've always said that there's a couple dating stories that honestly could probably be made into like a like a a, a, a box office thriller we'll just call it kind of somewhere somewhere to the tune of like when a stranger calls or disturbia um that that story will probably be told in 50 years by by myself um and you honestly i'd appreciate you if you helped me make the movie because i feel like that's the only appropriate medium to convey uh the story so for all those people out there um there are a couple dating stories that just have to be locked down for a long time but uh, eventually they'll come to light and another one is just another funny story that yeah i just probably can't tell for another 40 years but they're locked in there and eventually they'll be told um, but in the meantime, I'll, uh, I'll keep swiping on, uh, on hinge and, and we'll see what comes up there. But, uh, 
Anyway, um, should, we, should we move on to the next segment? Yeah, but just real quick, not to add to the mystique or anything on those two stories you're talking about, but I can promise to our listeners they are the, they are definitely crazy stories. So hopefully, um, when we are doing like our one thousandth episode, uh, we can celebrate by telling those. I don't know, um, but they're crazy. But yeah, go on. No, yeah, that sounds about right. What are we on episode? Uh, this is probably like fifteen or sixteen, right? Yeah, sixteen or seventeen. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. So we'll get to five hundred and we'll tell the story. Um, but yeah, man, um, until then, a couple more things that we wanted to touch on today, a little more lighthearted in nature. Um, should we go ahead and start with, should we start with our, our subsi- subscribe, unsubscribe? Yeah, man. Tell me what's going on here. What are we unsubscribing or subscribing to? It's funny. So in, in the past, the subscribe, unsubscribe has always been like some, Generally, it's some sort of uh, antics or events on social media that one of us will get behind and back, and other pe- the other person will say, "Hey, no, this is super lame." Um, but it, in in a lot of ways, it's turned out to us just both saying, "You know, thanks, but I hate it." <laughs> Mostly both unsubscribes, <laughs> exactly. and uh, I think this is this will probably be another one. But uh, this is just kind of a good chance for us to vent, and uh, I, I think it's again, it's kind of cathartic. So. I don't know what the deal is, and I think maybe we all did this once. I, I can think of one time in particular when I was like 22 and uh, had some some stuff going on. I think basically what I'm getting at is I find it kind of annoying a little bit when people are flexing about how hard they work on Instagram stories or how much they're studying on Instagram stories. It's like we're not your boss. We're not your monitors. We really – there's there's really no need for us to see or necessarily care about you putting time in on the books while the moon is the moon is up and shining and i can't really i sound like a complete jerk and like a just a straight up scrooge right now saying this but the the self-aggrandizement and flexing that pretty much occurs on social media anyway whether it's you're in your books or on the beach or whatever which i've definitely participated in so i I, i'm realizing now that i'm probably a hypocrite but uh I just think that you know, if you want to brag about how much you're studying or how hard you're working, you should just take that uh, over to LinkedIn. That's all I got to say. What do you think? Well, please. There's there's enough posts on LinkedIn about how great you are, um, <laughs> or how great people think they are. That I don't think there's even room for it there. So just like completely remove yourself from from <laughs> posting this. Like first of all, if you're if you're posting a picture on Instagram for your story, odds are you're going through your story and you just set up like your notebook and what you're studying for a nice picture to act like you're working really hard or studying really hard, but everyone knows that you're already on Instagram and you're swapping through stories, so you're not fooling anyone really there. Two, I'm almost 30 years old. I don't need to see... I don't need to see this. I... I for, the thing about social media is that I feel like it, it's turned from... It's gone from, like, a way for us to keep up with friends and, like, to see what's going on or even just like messaging each other and like funny funny outlets of communication and it's just turned completely into like a I like the smell of my own farts situation <laughs> meaning like look how cool I am look how great I am just me 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 and I don't know there should be like some sort of study on society about this but um, we grew up wanting to be whatever we could and it just so happens that a lot of people want to be celebrities and this is the closest thing that anyone will ever be to a celebrity and they want people to see how great their life is or how hard they work or yada 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 it's a big issue and 
the whole work side of thing and studying side of thing of, oh, everyone's out having a good time on a Friday night, but here I am, you know, trying to become some CPA or trying to, you know, studying to become a the lawyer. The grind yada, is real, yada, bro. Yada. Yeah, the grind is real. Like, just just shut up and do it and get done and just join everyone else on having fun instead of trying people to have people, A, make, I, like, feel sorry for you and B, respect you for how, how hard you work. I don't care, like, about that part of your life. I just want to be your friend. Like, I just want to, like, talk about stupid stuff, not about, like, you studying at midnight at 27 years old. Like, I'm sorry. I just don't want to see it. Right. And so two things to add on to that before we move on. One is studies show that if you're not completely um, engulfed in your work or research or studying or if if you have social media, like, at your hands – um, it, it actually reduces your productivity by about 65%. So really for the people that are flexing on us, the joke's on you. You're probably not getting as much out of whatever you're doing because you're posting and actively involved on social media. So when you're studying, you should stay away from your phone. Um, and two, I do have to say, like you say, like it's kind of like a thing where people are smelling their own farts on social media. Unfortunately, I have to say that I think I fall into the group where yeah, I know I'll, I'll still post like stuff that I'm doing and I'm not defending this in a way. And I, because I realize that it's all for really vain ambition, um, as someone who is unfortunately or fortunately, I think again, depending on how you want to look at it still in the dating pool, I'd say fortunately, um, to be honest, someone who's still kind of out there, it's, it's having a social media presence is like a thing these days and it's something that has to be done. And so to some extent, like I realize there's a fine line. I'm not trying to be all out scroogey here because I understand the flexes um, from a uh, uh, being socially relevant standpoint to an, there's a fine line. I don't know what it is, man. And honestly, I'm probably just making myself sound like an idiot because I'm pretty much playing both sides of the fence here because at one side of the token, I realize that like I need to post things or should post things to stay socially relevant as I am again proceeding through the life of someone in the dating pool and then two maybe i just get sick of other people doing the same thing that i'm doing in a different way but at the same time just keep your your work and your study how hard you're doing those things keep that to yourself i guess but uh again feel free to mock me for the stupid stuff i do on instagram because i probably deserve it right and if i'm if i hurt anyone's feelings i'm sorry i'm sure i do stupid stuff too but um i have a microphone and you don't so i'm going to be on my soapbox (laughs) that's what it comes down to And Get yourself a mic or slide into our DMs to tell us what kind of idiots we are, please. We want to yeah. hear it. And, and <laughs> I mean, I can't say anything about productivity because we're recording this at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday when I should be inside working. So um, I hope my bo- <laughs> boss is It's not that. like I'm a financial advisor and uh, the markets had unprecedented, uh, unprecedented levels of crashing over the last, well, four days. <laughs> and here I am recording a podcast. <laughs> Desperate times call for desperate measures. The jazz. Suck. I need a we break. We gotta do this. We gotta do this. Um, yeah. So that's fun. Um, what else do you have for me, Cole? Um, so we did throw out there uh, a couple mailbag. Uh, it was it was a last second toss. It's literally we like baited the hook. It's time for dinner. Dinner's at five o'clock, and we threw the hook with the worm in it at like four fifty eight, you could say. And uh, so we didn't get a ton of response right off the bat for our mailbag, but uh, we we did get a couple. Um, one from Tom Barnes, our good friend Tom. Shout out Tom. He asks, "Why are you both so agreeable in nature, and why don't you argue more?" And 
I'm going to go with this. One is because it's not like we're Twitter people who are on the extreme end of opinions. Like I feel like opinions are a little nuanced and we're, we're pretty much, I like to think we're pretty rational human beings. And so generally when you're rational, you don't have extreme takes one way or another for the most part. And so as a result, Kurt, you're the same way. So I think that's why we don't have a ton of, uh, you know, major disagreements. I'm sure we disagree on a few things here and there, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of times we're pretty perceptive of the truth for what it really is, reality-wise. What do you say? Um, yeah, I think one thing for me, and I don't know if this is just a good thing or a bad thing, is I'm pretty, I guess, I don't know if the word agnostic is right by nature, but I'm pretty, pretty heavy believer, and people have a right to believe in what they want to believe, and I'm going to believe in what I want to believe. Um, and sometimes that just doesn't turn into like a fun argument, I guess for the Unless sake of Unless you like, believe I'm, in posting pictures of yourself studying, sorry to cut you off, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly. You're an idiot if you do that, but <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> um, I just, I don't know, man, I, I guess for like a good radio persona, I should be more like, I don't know, Skip Baylessy or whatever, but I don't know, man. I, we also lived together for two years. We're pretty like-minded individuals. I think we agree on a lot of things and yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know. I just sorry that I agree with my friend Tom. If you want to get on here and you want to talk about things and we can argue, go ahead. We'll send you an invite for your third appearance because the second one got erased. So I guess the second <laughs> appearance on the show, I'll argue with you all day. Well, maybe one day for to all of our we have like three or four hundred uh, like Patreons that are paying us for these. So maybe maybe we'll have like a premium episode for you guys that are out there. Um, you know, for all the people that are paying ten bucks a month, and if you aren't, feel free to Venmo us. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have that that unreleased episode uh, for for your enjoyment for all our Patreons out there. Right. Side note, right? Um, this is this is crowdfunded. Uh, we don't like people hearing uh, ads. I mean, we could run sponsorships. We get asked all the time, guys, to have sponsorships on our ads, and we turn them down because we want to give you good free content. It's the integrity of the content, guys. Yeah, we don't necessarily want ads, even though shout out to Crumble Cookies. If they want to give us cookies, we'll definitely give them an ad, but that's a side note. <laughs> um, but thanks for your submission. Um, Spencer Wiggins, shout out to Spinard, Wiggy, Wiggy Smalls. Um, and this is something we kind of touched on, but he asks, the Jazz are either the best team or the worst team in the league. What's your, what's your guys' ideal fixes? So we already kind of went over the ideal fixes, um, effort, bringing Mike off the bench, having Ingles run more, but mostly effort from Rudy and everybody else. So that's kind of where our fixes are. Um, Yeah, I think we peaked at like the two, the two seed. Now we're at the six seed. Odds are when we're playing like who we truly are, we're probably somewhere in the middle, which means four or five seed against Houston. So that's uh, when when the pendulum swings from the one extreme to the other, chances are you, you spend most of your time somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I mean, we got that small market class ceiling, it feels like, regardless, so who knows. Um, Fixes, I think, long-term, we need to find someone who plays perimeter defense really well, and we need to kind of refocus our energy on, you know, solid wing players and and a team that wants to play together again. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Um, So appreciate your question, Spence. I'll see you on the softball field this, this spring, dude. Um... Do you, do you have any more? Do you have any questions, Pruitt? Yeah, I got one from AB. Shout out Austin Barlow. Um, he asked, "Who would win in a foot race out of me and you?" Is my, 
as much as I want to put money on and bet on myself in this situation, um, I think I'd I, I think I'd win. Actually, I'm gonna I'm I would kill you, Berg. This is for Tom too. I'm gonna be more arg- argumentative. I run a solid like four nine forty. I would kill you. You're like a five two. Yeah, man. You probably it'll be. I would say this. I, I'll I'll bet on myself here just because, given the fact that you're a new dad, um, you probably haven't had as much time to to work the legs out as much. And uh, I, as as we approach summer, have, have spent a little more time running some sprints and limbering up a little bit. And uh, you know, I used to be probably in high school. I was by far the slowest out of all of our friends. I had zero foot speed. But uh, really, over the last, I would say three to four years i'm probably as fast as i've ever been which still isn't super fast but i'd say faster than most of our friends i'll Um, be honest i'll be i'll cut you off right now i'll be honest okay you and i used to work out together we'd run sprints and you'd kill me so i i would lose this situation i don't know dude i think you're you're, there's the there's the dad strength i mean dad strength definitely has some involvement with like the the speed at which your quads and hamstrings move so i might be a little uh i might be overestimating my talents here but I know yeah. one thing for sure. If I had to line up against AB, whether it's 10-yard dash, 50-yard dash, whether it's a marathon, I'm putting my money on myself all day. So yeah. uh, Kid Lightning um, has would, would definitely be muted. Sorry, AB. Yeah, AB what's your comeback? I can't hear you. AB, yeah, just that? go eat some mayonnaise, dude. We know it's your favorite treat. <laughs> <laughs> that is kicking someone. That's not kicking someone when they're down. It's like beating up like a deaf <laughs> deaf blind kid because he has no way to retort and you're just just jumping him that's rude bird uh it's a, for anybody out there AD. that doesn't know for anybody out there that doesn't know um it sounds kind of crazy but austin barlow loves mayonnaise like it's crazy um in fact it's weird i remember uh, it was like four or five years ago when we were like coming around with like christmas ideas he's just like dude just give me some mayonnaise and i was like austin that's weird he's like i love it so um He's, he's, he's actually about, he's a pilot now. Uh, so shout out to AB for just getting his commercial pilot's license uh, within the last few weeks here. He's probably going to enlist in the Air Force just to drop a bomb in my house after these uh, like five minutes of comments. So shout out to AB. Love you, dude. And shout obviously out shout out to Summer Lights guitarist Austin Barlow and backup singer. So um, anyway, yeah. So I've, I've got one more question. Um, this comes from Quinn Green. Shout out Quinn Green, one of the best pitchers to ever come through Davis High Baseball. Um, and a hardcore jazz fan as well. Um, I see him on Twitter, and he, he has great, great takes. Um, so Quinbird, he actually had a question in regard to uh, how much of a difference does doing those cold plunges in water, those cold water plunges make for you? I've been doing cold showers for a year now and won't go back. I love it. So um, for those of you that don't know, uh, I, I have this weird thing. Well, not weird thing, but I, I like to – like I, I take cold showers. I'll just come out and say it. I take cold showers, and then occasionally I'll I'll jump in a stream with a buddy that's frozen over. So uh, T Car and I jumped in a, a frozen river that was like 34 degrees, and he has like a cold tub. And um, I'll be honest, there's some science out there now that talks about the importance of like it's called hormetic stressors. So just small stressors on your body, um, whether it's hot like the sauna or cold in the like the extreme cold water. Um, and how it improves your mitochondria. And for everybody out there that took 10th grade science, we all know that mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And so by exposing your body to brief bouts of, of cold or hot extreme temperatures, 
Um, you improve the efficiency of your mitochondria. So from an energy standpoint, um, I feel like I'm a little more alert. Obviously, that would make sense when you jump in cold water. So yeah, there's the alertness factor. It kind of hits you like a, like a shot of cocaine, not like I've ever done that, but that's what I would imagine it would feel like. Um, it's also good for inflammation. So um, obviously when you either work out or you're sick or you or working out is good inflammation. Um, it, it produces good responses in your body, but bad inflammation is a result of eating like crappy food. Um, and, and cold water and hot water reduce kind of overall inflammation in your body, which helps it be a little more efficient as well. And it also improves your immune system. So I can't remember the last time I got sick. Uh, and I attribute some of that to cold showers. And that was a long diatribe. So shout out to Quinn. Cold jumps, cold plunges are great. Everybody else should try it, even if it's for 20 seconds in your cold shower. There you go. Blah, 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 blah. Science, 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 science. That's all I heard. Just kidding. Um, I actually do the cold shower thing, too. Um, for well, I don't do it too long, just like a minute or two when I'm in the shower, but I just freeze it as much as I can, and I just feel a lot more energized, so that's all I know. There you go, man. That's all it takes. I'm with Let's you. Go. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, I feel like we've taken uh, an hour and ten minutes of our, our fine listeners' time, and if we times an hour and ten minutes by how many listeners we have, you know, it's close to, what, 100,000 listeners times an hour and nine. I mean – that's a lot of time that you guys just spent with us, and we appreciate it. And uh, we, we want we want to hear your thoughts and responses and your comebacks and anything else on your mind. So shoot us a DM or anything else, and uh, that's all I've got for you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, just jump off the ship. It's on fire. Just, or if you want to go down with it, we respect that too. Amen. I, you know what? I figure I, we've rode the ship this far, dude. Let's go down with it. It won't be a pretty ride, but... Uh, Buckle yourself to the gallows, man. All systems go to the bottom of the ocean. All right, everybody. This has been the, the thoughts inside your head. We did have a musical guest, I just realized, but I just forgot about it. So we'll do that next time. Um, but uh, in the meantime, you used to call me on your cell phone and uh, prep for that, okay? 